All right, guys, welcome to another Friday night where hopefully we're getting closer to seeing each other in person. Um, I'm starting to really get sick of this isolation, but hey, it is what it is, and at least we can still meet together and thank God for that. Um, tonight's topic is a bit interesting. It's a topic we don't usually speak about, and the topic is apologetics. Now, some of you may ask, what is apologetics? And, you know, when me and Dave started discussing this, this topic, it, uh, we tried to really best explain it. And the best way we could really like think of it is apologetics is not evangelizing. Um, a lot of the time we confuse apologetics with evangelizing. And um, apologetics is just, us defending God's word to to others. Um, that's simple ways I can put it. Um, so to begin with, Dave, um, or this is a question where an atheist or somebody who doesn't believe in God will will ask: Is why does God allow pandemics? Hence, what we're we're in now. Um, why does God allow pandemics, suffering, or natural disasters? Okay. So I guess um, uh, I just want to add to your opening remarks and say that, um, yeah, like if you're someone watching this who thinks that um, this is the way you come to know uh, God and, and Jesus, then I, I want you to say that that's not true. Um, and in fact, it, not only is it not true, but um, uh, you can get bogged down in, in a lot of these questions and, and, and kind of, um, like challenging, challenging matters uh, of theology to the point where it can really distract you from uh, the person of Jesus. So if you're someone watching this, you're not a Christian, then uh, really, honestly, you don't have to watch this um, and, uh, and just really learn more about who Jesus is and, and fall in love with him. And then these questions, they will be answered over time. I mean, you know, or not, up to you. Um, but if you're someone that, uh, you know, uh, has, you know, the, we titled this barriers to faith. So if these kinds of questions really like obstruct your ability to truly trust God, follow him, um, come to faith in him, then this is the, the point of tonight. And yeah, as Daniel said, apologetics is not evangelism. So these are not the kinds of things that we would go out and kind of tell people up front. Uh, up front, we tell people about Jesus. And then in these questions, um, we need to know the answers to. I really truly believe the Bible cares that we have the answers to these kinds of questions, these challenging things, but they're not the, the crux or the most important part of our faith. Um, and uh, in saying all of that, we, I guess, Daniel, we should probably just tell them like how we're going to do this. Um, we have picked, so we, we sent out a Slido, slido.com, S-L-I-D-O.com. Uh, if you go there now and you type in the hashtag barriers, um, you can still submit questions on there, but Daniel and I have already selected three questions. We're going to focus on, on three main questions, and then hopefully we'll have time for extra questions at the end. Um, and again, the, the point of answering these questions is not like questions of challenge of, of our own faith walk, but rather questions that non-Christians or people who are struggling with the Bible would have and how to be able to uh, rationalize them and think about them in a way 
that um, is both intellectually satisfying, but also consistent with the Bible and the Bible's message. Um, so all of that to say, yeah, the first question is this, uh, why does God allow pandemics, suffering and natural disasters? And um, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis uh, writes a whole book about this question. Um, he titles it, The Problem of Pain. Um, uh, yeah, look, the, the, there's a bunch of, I think the heart of, of the answer to this question about, you know, why would God, who we say is a good God, according to the Bible, a God who, who supposedly loves us, why would he allow suffering, especially suffering that seems to be, you know, like natural and not, not related to, to any, anything that we might do, like, on purpose to delay, you know, obviously someone killing someone else, fair enough that, that suffering comes from that person who chose to kill. But um, yeah, so why would God allow it? I think the first thing I, I want to point out about this question is that um, I think that Christianity probably has one of the most uh, like satisfying ways to, to talk about this question. I think if you look at a lot of other religions and a lot of other philosophies, uh, this question uh, can can be like the gateway to a bit of a, either, either a shrug or like a, a, a bit of a, like a non-answer. So I think that Christianity, um, the Judeo-Christian kind of tradition has, has um, quite a profound thing to say about that. And I think that the answer to this question is actually the story of the Bible. Um, I think that, you know, the first thing is that you've got to recognize that God's intention for the world and for humanity was nothing but perfection. Um, and peace and uh, yeah joy and, and 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 close relationship with God that would bring nothing but life and uh, you know bounty and blessing and all these things um, and then uh, the the way that the story goes is that we don't trust God Adam and Eve humanity they look at uh, all of that God that God has given them this perfect world this God, this paradise garden and they look at God and they say once they're faced with a challenge and opposition to God they say we don't trust that God has actually provided the best for us and we think that we've got a better way here um, and they disobey God's only command which is don't eat from this tree um, of the knowledge of good and evil and from that disobedient act the relationship the the connection between the God who provided all this good stuff who provided life who provided order out of chaos, that connection is severed. And so the Bible kind of gives you then this, uh, st this unfolding story of how, what happens when the God of the universe is disconnected from his, uh, from his creation and disconnected from, uh, from his people. Um, and essentially what happens is an unfolding stream of evil and of chaos, that when we are left to our own devices without God, um, this, the consequence and, and that kind of, you know, what comes out of us is nothing but evil and chaos and the world goes dark. Um, creation, uh, as Paul will later put it in the New Testament, starts to groan and cry out because it's, uh, you know, God, uh, the, the, the creator God with all of his life-giving power is now absent from, um, from, from his creation. Or, you know, there's a, connect, a severed, severed connection. And then um, the story uh, unfolds where God isn't happy with this. Now, uh, you know, God isn't happy with, with the way that this would unfold. Um, and he wants to actually 
uh, reconcile this. He wants to um, uh, bring uh, creation back and bring people back into relationship with him to restore that connection so that uh, that suffering would end, that, that things would be back the way that they were. But it's not a simple fix. Um, there are consequences to the broken relationship. There is, and, 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 and there's a whole lot more that we could dive into, but essentially the, the fix is that God himself would enter into our suffering. Um, that's, that's the fix that he chose rather than abolishing the suffering because technically the Bible puts it that if he were to abolish and just immediately remove suffering, he would have to get rid of humanity in the same uh, in this at the same time so god didn't do that rather what he did was he became one of us and he entered into our suffering um, and not only did he enter into it but he took all of our suffering onto him um, including the consequences of that broken relationship um, and out of that he forges a new way a new path um, a way that is uh, can be free and can be uh, clear of that suffering and, and a way to be reunited with the author of life, the author of beauty and peace and all those things that, that was there at the very beginning. Um, and so the, the, then, then the, in the New Testament, the, 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 through Jesus, we, we have this, um, and the promise is that there will be a time where God's kingdom, just like it was at the, at the very beginning of the world, will return to the world. But while we wait for that kingdom to return fully, um, we anticipate it. We, you know, those who belong to Jesus, we anticipate it. We're excited about it. But we're also called to usher it in. We are called to be people who stop adding to the cycle of suffering. We're called to be people who are um, essentially revolutionary to instead of thinking about ourselves and, and all that and adding to the cycle of suffering, we're called to break that and instead to live for others and instead to be um, just like Jesus was um, uh, bringing pockets of, of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And then we're also called as, as people who follow Jesus, we're called to be people that not just usher in bits of these new, his kingdom now, but we're also called to, um, eagerly anticipate and await the day that it fully arrives um, and to have hope. And that hope is not anchored in anything other than the reality of who Jesus is, uh, what he did for us, and then uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the images of the new creation that we see in his life and in his resurrection. Um, and so uh, the idea is that a Christian, uh, we, we, rec we reconcile this tension between the fact that God is good and he loves us and all these things and yet there's suffering in the world by saying that um, yeah God made a way out of this um, and he entered into it and took it on himself to make that way um, but also he promises a new day is coming um, and and he secures that promise for those who have uh, surrendered to him and who, who recognize him as Lord and Savior um, and not only that but uh, he will set everything right um, and that it's never his intention that any of this came to pass. So that is the story of the Bible. That is the story of the Christian uh, faith. Um, and it's intensely wrapped up in this idea of uh, suffering. Uh, what do you reckon? Is it, how, how does that strike you, Daniel? Is, that, is there anything that you have questions about when it comes to uh, that answer? 
Did you black out? Oh, that's not only happening. He can't unmute himself. Oh. There we go. <laughs> um, IT guy can't unmute himself. <laughs> yeah, I've been locked out of the system. <laughs> um, no, I think um, that's what we really need to be doing every time. You know, we get asked with these questions. It's just, it's the whole story of the Bible. And, you know, you've, you've got to defend the truth with the truth. You, we're not, we're not here to sugarcoat things and we're not here to, you know, oh yeah, that's good. That's bad. Blah, blah, blah. No, it's, you take the story from, um, from the start and you just go through it. And just like you said, it's just, it is, yeah, it's the Bible. It's the story of, you know, from Genesis to, um, revelations. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's a whole, like it's, it's not, I will read one thing and, you know, take bits and pieces out of this cause I like it. And no, it's a, it's a whole story. It's, mm. it's complete. And, um, I'll just add one, one thing to, uh, what I, what I just said, which is that I forgot this part, which is that the, the other thing that the Bible talks about when it talks about suffering is that in, uh, in the light of Jesus, in the light of what he did for us on the cross, um, in, in that light, not only do we have a hope for tomorrow, but uh, God seems to say to us, he says that all of your suffering that you face now, if you hand it to him, he can actually turn that suffering and redeem that suffering and, and turn it into, into good and glory. In the same way that Jesus' nail-scarred hands uh, remain when he is resurrected, uh, those, those scarred hands don't become a source of horror or of disgust or of, you know, any, any ongoing suffering, rather they become the source of our salvation, the source of our new life. And uh, Jesus and, and, and God in the way that the Bible talks about our suffering now as Christians is that we should hand over our suffering to God. We, in fact, we should delight whenever we suffer because that, these are the opportunities that God can then use that for his glory and for the benefit of others. And I would just use like, for example, one, one, one like potential real world example, you'll hear stories about people like one story in particular comes to mind. I can't give you any details. Unfortunately, I should have probably looked it up before this, but um, of uh, you know, there was this um, uh, uh, civil war in Africa. I think it was in Ethiopia. And um, there was a whole bunch of people killing each other. And one person, um, uh, one, one invading like guerrilla army attacked this village and raped and, and burned and tortured and all this stuff to this, this village. And out of that a horror, it was a horror, it was a bad thing. You, you can't ever justify something like that. Out of that horror, one woman who watched her daughter die, um, got burned alive and watched her whole village collapse and, and, and everything, she uh, who and who had scars from the whole event, she um, uh, she was a Christian, and one time this man who who was involved in that attacking of that village, he wanted to uh, he 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 realized what he did was wrong and he wanted forgiveness, so he went back to that village and they ended up meeting each other, um, and he he went to this he found this woman. It turned out that he was the one who who killed her daughter. And he, he, he apologized and she forgave him. 
Um, and not only did she accept his 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 uh, apology and 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 f forgive him, but together they started a charity. Um, uh, and and that charity went on to to build orphanages and other things. This is the reality of what it looks like to be a Christian and live in this world of suffering and yet hope for a better day. It gives you the ability to forgive. It gives you the ability to turn horror into a promise for a better future and 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 bring beauty out of, of the chaos and, and create a little bit of piece of Eden um, in the here and now while we wait for it to fully fully come um, when Jesus returns. So that is, in a nutshell, like a, a, a living example of what it looks like for a Christian to, to face suffering in our, in, our, in our world today. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, uh, sorry, we took a while on that question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose you the next question, Danny Boy. And that is, uh, we got a question that said, how is God good if he sends people to hell? Cool. It's actually a good question that will like will come up in a lot of conversations when you're speaking with atheists um they love that question it's like oh if god is so good so holy why why is he sending people to hell um and to answer this it's pretty much god just for for all of us to know god does not send people to hell um heaven or hell is is a choice that that we make um in fact god God doesn't want to see anyone in hell. He loves every single person on earth. Whether they choose to follow him or not, he still loves and cares for them. Um, hell, like, let, let, let's take it as if, if they are asking this question, they obviously know there's a heaven and there's a hell. Um, and then hell, hell is just a place where it's, just, it, it's eternal separation from God, right? Um, so heaven would be the opposite of that. Heaven is just the full presence of God. It's a perfect world. It's just, it's beautiful. Um, and any, any question like this, just take it back to the beginning. And it's like Dave said in, the, in, the, in his answer for the first question, is just take the whole story of the Bible. So go from the start and it takes us to the story of the creation. You know, Adam and Eve had this beautiful, they had the perfect world to live in. Um, they were in the garden living with God every single day they have an open relationship with him they can be like hey God you know and it's it's that open of a conversation um you can just be like oh hey God like how was this and you know, it's how me and David chatting now and how we communicate on zoom or whatever um it's just it's an open conversation and an open relationship with God and it's really a, a perfect world because that's that's what God wanted from humanity he wanted a relationship with us until adam and eve disobeyed him and that was that was a sin and that was the disjointment here um when adam and eve sinned or disobeyed god that that was what separated us from god and then we we were banished from from heaven right we were sent to earth to live you know grow crops make disciples and so on until jesus came and by God sending his son to die on the cross for us, that's, that's our ultimate victory. That's how God sees us now. When God looks at us now, he sees Jesus. Um, and it's, he's perfect. Um, he, he 
can't see a fault. And that's how we're allowed to eventually go back into heaven um, and be with God in a perfect love again. Um, so it, God, yeah, God, as I said, God doesn't send people to hell. It's ultimately your choice based on that, whether you, you want to f- choose to follow God or you choose not to. And that's really the crux of it here. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the common misconceptions about heaven and hell is um, when people think about it, they, you know, they have these very two, like, opposing uh, ideas in their mind. They think heaven is the good place and hell is the bad place. And heaven is the place where we float around wearing, uh, you know, angel wings and, and playing harps. And hell is a place where you get tortured or something. And Satan is a goat or something like that. So um, uh, that's just not true. That's not what the the Bible uh, talks about at all. In fact, um, the the passages that you'll see that talk about um, heaven and hell, uh, if you actually look at them closely, they have like this modern idea that we've painted on on these these uh, these places are completely like our our figment of imagination and based on a whole bunch of art and, and a bunch of other things that came later on um, uh, well and truly after Jesus was gone. Uh, the reality of heaven and hell is exactly what you just said, which is heaven is where God is. Hell is where God isn't. Um, uh, heaven is the, the reality. Well, what, what, when Christians talk about heaven, they should be referring to the reality of what it looks like to live with God eternally. Um, and when Christians talk about hell, um, the reality of what they should be talking about is is being absent from God um, sure. for eternity. Um, and the idea, the, 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 what the Bible is clear about is that we are not beings that just live right now and then we're gone forever. The, the Bible's um, uh, portrayal of our existence is that we are here for a time um, and then when our time is up based on, so this is not a, a practice run, this is not like a warm-up, our decisions in this life matter. We are called to draw near to God, to 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 find Him, to to draw near to Him, just as He wants to draw near to us, and has done everything to draw us near to Him. Um, and then out of that, uh, guess what? You find eternal life. In fact, Jesus put it this way. He said when He was talking to His disciples near the end, He said, "Knowing the Father is eternal life." Um, so the idea is that if you want if you want heaven, if you want eternal life, you know him, you know God. And guess what? In that, in that way, then that question becomes a bit obsolete because you're right. God does not send anyone there. Uh, the idea is if you do not want to know him, then you will not know him. But, that, but, but being separated from the author of life, from the one who created everything and who, who gives life to everything, being separated from that being means that you are in a state of eternal death. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, that's a whole mind bender in and of itself, but, um, but then counter to that, if you want him, if you are in relationship with him, if you draw near to him, um, then that is the beginning of the path towards eternal life. Um, and, and, and that, that relationship just continues, um, on and on and on. Um, and C.S. Lewis once said this really, uh, profound thing where he said that, God didn't like just send Adam and Eve out of Eden um, just because he was a, a 
cruel God yeah. or like, you know, he was annoyed, he was hurt and he's like, I just get out of my face or whatever. No, the idea is that there was this tree uh, that the Bible talks about in the Garden of Eden um, and that tree is called the tree of life. And the idea is that if Adam and Eve ate of that tree of life and lived forever um, in this state of rejecting God, rebellion towards God, guess what? They're living, they're living in hell already. Um, and so God limited hell from humanity and, but God also wants us to decide and, ha- and, and, and actually love him and come to him honestly. Um, uh, and so, so yeah, he, he will not send you to hell, but he will allow you to be separated from him if that's what you decide through your life. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. know. No, that's, that's good. Um, I want to keep things moving because I don't want to, you know, take too much time um, having a chat. But um, our third question for the night is actually a big one. And it's, it's a question where, like, us humans can't really understand the concept. Like, we can't wrap our heads around this. But if God has a, pl- a plan laid out for us, then, you know, what's the point in praying or can we even change anything if if it's all made already then what's the point yep um okay yeah this is a really big question uh it's probably the hardest question to answer um because you're dealing with um a bunch of different things um and and there's no by the way there's no agreement uh in christianity regarding the answer to this question uh, you ask a different uh, Christian with a different theological leaning and they will answer in a different way. So I'll give you my answer. Then feel free to, you know, jump in whenever you want. But um, so really what this question is asking is two things. And that is, uh, um, what is the nature of God's omniscience? So, you know, God's uh, all-knowing nature. Like, so we believe that God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. So what, is, what does that even mean? Um, and his eternal omniscient so he is eternal he is outside of time um so what's what's the deal with that plus what's the deal with uh free will it is really the question and how do those two things uh intersect and play with each other um and the common way that people will phrase this is you know if god is all knowing uh, and he knows what i'm going to do then how could i ever choose to do something different how do i have free will um, or in this context, you know, if God knows what's going to happen, well, what's the point in praying? Because if he knows what's going to happen, it's either going to happen or not. Like, will my prayers actually do anything or have any effect? Um, and the answer, my answer is that uh, uh, let's start with, with, uh, with, with God's um, omniscience, with his all-knowing and eternal uh, nature. So I think that it, it's, there's a bit of a, a flaw in, in logic. If you think that just because God knows everything, it means he influences and impacts everything. Um, uh, there's an example um, of, imagine you've got a barometer. So a, uh, a weather barometer, you know, something that helps predict the weather, right? Um, imagine you've got the best barometer in the world. It tells you the weather with 100% accuracy. When it says it's going to rain, it's going to rain. You know it's going to rain. Um, so you've got this barometer. Uh, now the idea here is that, that the barometer, just because it says it's going to rain, doesn't mean it's the thing that's causing the rain, right? 
So uh, the, the idea here is that just because God knows everything does not mean that he determines everything, does not mean that he, uh, you know, just because he knows, like another example is uh, you've got a kid that you know that your kid loves cookies. Uh, you leave some cookies out on the kitchen table and you, you leave the room um, and you, you know that your kid is entering the room as you leave. Uh, you could be pretty certain, in fact, you know that your kid will have at least one cookie, right? That does not mean that you intended the kid to have the cookie. That does not mean that you made the kid have the cookie. The kid still chose to have the cookie, but you as the father or, or you know, the parent, you uh, know your child, and so you know the, the, the outcome. So that's, that's one way. And so if we look at it that way, essentially what we're saying is that God's eternal perspective um, is not a deterministic uh, perspective, but rather it is a like a concurrent perspective. In other words, God is there in the moments, but he's not there uh, um, bending the moments. Does that make sense? Um, uh, I, I heard it once said that God is not Shakespeare who writes the play and then uh, hands out the parts to humanity and then watches us just dance on our on our on the stage and, and watches us fulfill our lines perfectly and we can never stray from from the play and from the script. God is not that, nor is he a chess player that um, sees a hundred moves ahead and oh David wants to move his bishop to you know whatever. Well, I'm going to eventually move this thing here and it will come to nothing or it'll help him do this or whatever else. Um, that's not the reality that the Bible paints about God either. From the beginning of the Bible, the, the, the nature of God and the nature of human free will, I think, is um, best portrayed as a partnership. And in fact, that's what you get from Genesis uh, chapter 1 and, and chapter 2. Um, and that is that God creates humanity in his image. We are made as image bearers, so people who are supposed to be like him um, and help co-rule uh, this world and then out of this uh this mandate to like join and partner with god and, and 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 help bring about more creative beauty in the world and things like that um we are called to partner with god in in that process and even the bible itself is is a is a is a, a product of that partnership you know god entrusts his word to human beings who then uh you know helped form the the word of god right um, but God entrusted it to people, and, and it was this partnership between between God and people. So let me, let me play devil's advocate here and and say, well, all right, cool, I hear you. Um, all sounds good, but you know we see so many Bible, uh, so many stories in the Bible that God, oh, you can always see that God is moving things um, to force the person to do what he ultimately wants right yeah so yeah it's a good point um you know i was actually thinking about different stories that had this tension in them and one of them is uh is the story of joseph um and uh uh you've got at the beginning you've got joseph who has these dreams um that that seem to have been given to him by god and um, these dreams say that he will be elevated he will be above his he's the youngest but he'll be above his brothers. He'll even be above his, his father and his mother. Um, and they'll all bow down to him. And this is a, a big, big deal. And by the way, we're, we're, we're low on time. So we'll try to like wrap this up. Um, uh, anyway, then his brothers get jealous. 
right? And his brothers decide, you know what? We hate this kid. Um, let's get rid of him and let's sell him off uh, uh, as a slave. Um, anyway, the story unfolds and, and multiple things happen and Joseph becomes a slave, but then through various events, he, he becomes elevated to the position of the second highest person in the whole wide world. He, he becomes the right-hand man to Pharaoh, which essentially makes him the, the second most powerful man in the world. And out of that position of power, um, he becomes the source of salvation. He saves his brothers and his family because they come into Egypt and they're in desperate need because the whole uh, of their area is in a famine. And Egypt, because of Joseph, um, is well equipped to deal with this famine. And so Joseph saves his family. Um, and then his brothers realize and find out who he is. And they're afraid of Joseph and because they think, oh, well, he's going to take revenge on us. We sold him into slavery. He went through this horrible time. He's going to take revenge on us. And Joseph says this very profound thing. And that is that you intended these things for evil, but God used these things to bring about good and to save your lives and, and the lives of many others. And the idea is that this is the tension, is that God knows us. God knows the situation. He is all-knowing, but he will allow us to make decisions, to make potentially even evil decisions. But he will, he is still sovereign. He is still in control and his will uh, and his plan will ultimately be done. Now that opens a can of worms and saying, well, how much belongs to God? How much belongs to humanity? All these kinds of things. And I think that the Bible really doesn't want to answer that. It just kind of tells us that both, both humanity has free will and that we choose and, and we have agency and, and that we will be held accountable for our decisions. Um, and, and God wants us to make the right decisions that benefit others and not ourselves and, and to bring about, like we talked about before, more of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. But um, he also is sovereign and he is all knowing and all powerful. And God ultimately steers the ship of history um, towards his will and his purposes. All of that to say that, um, uh, like you started this question, you said, uh, you know, I don't think we'll fully understand. I don't think we'll fully un understand. I don't think we as human beings will truly ever grasp the nature of eternity and grasp the nature of God's sovereignty and his, uh, being all powerful because we just aren't that. We aren't all powerful. We don't know. We struggle with time. Like if you even look at relativ relativity and string theory and all these things, we don't even really know the makeup of our own existence and our own reality. And we can't even yeah. make sense of it ourselves. So I, I think to project that on God and, and, and the eternal uh, all powerful experience that he has, we really won't ever gr grasp it. But what we can grasp is, is the reality that the Bible puts before us, even when it's paradoxical. And that is that God does know all, but he does give humanity the uh, agency to, to make uh, decisions. Um, and that he will work amongst that. And, and the best way that I can put it is that it is a partnership, that God wants to partner with humanity. When that partnership goes well, good things tend to happen. Um, and, 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 you know, so going back to the question about prayer, so you hear actually lots of Bible passages um, talking about and from Jesus himself saying, uh, if you ask anything of the Father, and, and, and then uh, the apostles will later qualify that's in the will of the Father, it will be granted. God will always, uh, uh, he always listens to his people, 
and he is always willing and ready to uh, to answer prayers, particularly what we're talking about is in the affirmatives, like saying yes to our prayers. Um, and he's willing to, but here's the thing, it's a partnership, right? And uh, God is more likely to say yes to you. In fact, he will say yes to you. That's the promise of the Bible. He will say yes to you when you are having the same thoughts he has, right? If I were to open up a business uh, with Daniel and I wanted to do something in the business, but Daniel was like, I really am against this. And we've decided beforehand that it would, we would have to be both on board with something to go ahead with the decision. Well, then if, even if my idea is great in my own eyes, but Daniel disagrees, that idea is not going ahead. Uh, it's the same way with, I think, the way that the Bible talks about prayer um, and influencing God's hand. It's a partnership. You, you cannot go against the will of God because he wants to partner with you, but he doesn't want you to bring about evil in the world. So he will, he will, he will. Yeah. And, and so the idea is if you really are in relationship with him, you know what his will is. You can pray into that. Um, and uh, therefore your prayer will be answered in the affirmative. Um, but does he hear you in general? Like whether he answers yes or no, or maybe, yes, he always hears you. Um, but in terms of like answering yes to your prayers and changing his mind, well, actually you do get in the book of Revelation, you do get this situation where uh, the prayers of the saints change God's mind. Um, there's, a, there's a moment, uh, you can read the book of Revelation yourself, but there's a moment where uh, the crying out of the saints um, and they're pleading for God to bring justice on, on all the, 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 the martyrs, the people who've been killed in God's name. Um, and there's a silence in heaven and the craziness happens and John is told not to write anything down and God does something because of the, the, the prayer that's been offered up to him. Was that always going to happen anyway? Well, um, again, that's not for us to answer and that's not really the point. Uh, but the point is that God does here and he wants to partner with us and we have free will, but also he has sovereignty and there is this tension between those two things uh, and and I'm not sure if I could ever truly satisfy you, but, but yeah, uh, with this answer. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, I think that the way that the Bible portrays it is that these two things can coexist. Um, uh, and maybe we don't fully understand how, but, but they can exist and uh, coexist. And, um, and yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, that was good. That was good. All right. Um, I think that's all we have time for. Mm -hmm. um does do we want to follow through with a question or do we want to go into breakout rooms and go further yeah uh i think if you have any more questions uh, uh feel free to pop it down in the chat um mm -hmm. uh and um i will try to answer it so in the chat of the zoom meeting um but if there's no questions well, i guess we better wrap it up now um uh and maybe Maybe the YouTube video will include the questions or not. I don't, don't know. But, um, but yeah, any, any last thoughts, um, Dan? Actually, yeah. When you were talking about the time and like how we can't really understand like or wrap our heads around the concept of time, I think my favorite way I saw it done was by Francis Chan. He was on this huge stage. He had like a really long robe. It wrapped like it was the width of the stage, very long rope, and he had like this much of it. So you can imagine a really long rope and only this much of it, literally this much of it, to scale, was wrapped around in red tape. And he's like, okay, so you're born here. 
And then, you know, you, there's your teenage years, there's your work, there's your uni. Uh, now, you know, you've saved up money and you go on holidays and then you're dead. And that's, that's our life. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to explain the rest of the rope. That's, that's eternity with God. Um, it's a really cool video. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Just go Francis Chan rope or something. It'll come up. Um, but that, that was the best way I, like, it made me at least sort of understand the concept of, of time with God. It's just our, our time here on earth is, is very limited. It's very minute compared to what eternity looks like with him. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, talking about eternity. Um, yeah, that is very helpful. There's a, um, when I was a kid, um, uh, um, you know, one of the things that struck me uh, growing up and when I like thought about eternity is that we tend to talk about it as a really, 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 really long time. <laughs> um, the nature of eternity is that it's literally like timeless because time kind of has no meaning when yeah. it's... Anyway, so uh, yeah, but yeah, it's a concept. We, we are bound by the minutes and the hours and the days of our life. Um, and to think about something like that really kind of breaks our brains. Um, yeah, so yeah. And, and to be God and to witness this world, like if you believe that God created this world, this universe, and all that is in it, including time, or the, the experience of time, then, um, you know, obviously he's not bound by it. So to imagine God going side by side with you, like, you know, saying, oh, okay, well, I foresaw uh, 10 years from now that you would do this. So I'm going to manipulate this right now so that this will happen or whatever. Like, it's just, it's a very human approach to something that it is not human and that we can't, you know, so, yeah. yeah and if yeah. we were to understand everything about God, then we would, would he be God? You know? So anyway, but um, yeah. All right. No one wants to ask any more questions. They're sick of us. So mm-hmm. peace and love. And um, uh, if you want this, con- we'll, we'll continue this conversation now in the breakout rooms, but if you want this conversation to continue beyond this, uh, I encourage you guys, you can email us, DM us on, on Instagram, Facebook, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, we can keep the conversation going. Um, uh, beyond this. All right.